You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today, um, we are finishing up our series called Rubicon. And, um, and I would encourage you to go back. It's been a challenging series for me personally. I've never preached a sermon for you. I've never preached a sermon. I'm like, I'm really gonna get these people with that. But every time I preach, it's for me. God's showing me something. And, and I also hope you get something out of it too. But it's really for me. And this weekend is no different. Throughout this series, I've just felt like God has challenged me in a number of different areas. And, and my prayers, the Holy Spirit has done that for you as well. Um, and we've just been talking about this idea of total commitment. What does total commitment look like? And a few weeks ago, Chad Williams was with us, former Navy SEAL. And Chad said uh, the way he made it through Hell Week and the way he made it through, uh, through, through SEAL training was he just had this mindset, I'd rather die than quit. And I just felt so convicted. And I thought, what if I applied this standard to the areas of my life? like my marriage, not that I'm thinking about divorcing my wife, but, but what if I just said, I'd rather die than quit? What if in my relationship with my girls and my calling, my ministry, whatever it is, I just applied the standard. I'd rather die than quit on these things. How would it change? What would happen in my life? Because the truth is, and we'll get into this, um, commitment and total commitment are not the same thing. We can be committed to something without being totally committed to it. And some of you are in marriages and you're committed, but you're not totally committed. And some of you have friends and you're committed, but you're not totally committed. So what would it look like if you totally committed? So let me start today in Genesis chapter two. I'm gonna start in Genesis 2, 18. This is at the beginning, the creation story. God had created the heavens, the earth. He had created um, everything at this point, he has not created the, the living creatures. It says in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Some translations say a suitable helper or a helper suitable for him. A help meet is how the, the King James says it. It says, so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. There was no helper just right for him. Um, When we look at this verse, I've talked about this in the past, just saying helper sounds a little demeaning because I think about when my girls were little and I would be working on a project and they'd go, daddy, can I help? And I wanna say, no, you can't help. You you are gonna be no help to me at all. But I wouldn't do that. I would go, yes, I've got a very important job for you. I need you to stand right there and hold this screwdriver. Can you do that? Yes, I can. And they would stand there and hold the screwdriver while I was doing the heavy lifting. I was doing the work and they were out of the way. Like that was kind of, that's how they could be my helper, right? And you've all probably experienced that. So when I see this word helper in scripture, um, it feels a little demeaning as if, like, oh, I'm doing something and, and yeah, you can help me if you want, wife. Uh, but that's not exactly the way it's intended. Um, the word helper here is a word azer in the original language, and it means helper. But when you look at it contextually, it is not talking about the way I just described it. 
In fact, what you typically see is it's uh, language used in reserve for salvation, for saving. So David uses that word azer a lot throughout the book of Psalms when he's describing God, he's talking about God and he calls God his his azer, his helper. He's not saying, well, God, you can assist me with this. What he's saying is, God, I'm in trouble. I'm surrounded by my enemies and I need a helper. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. And that is a dramatically different context than what we see here with the word azer. The other word that's used here when it says suitable helper or help meet, um, separate, these words are azer and neged. Together, it's azer kenido. Um, in this context, but the separate words are azer and neged. So when we look at the word neged, it's interesting. It's got a lot of different definitions depending on the context it's used in. Um, but one of the common traits of this word is that it's used in a way that, that means to face. So think about it this way. Um, if you faced someone, you'd be face to face with them. You'd be on opposite sides. So if, if some of you like boxing or MMA, before the match begins, they join each other at the center of the ring and they don't stand by each other with their arms over the shoulder facing the ref. They face each other. They are on the opposite sides facing each other. There's this, there's this implication of opposition in their body language. Because they are facing each other, they're not together. And it's interesting because this is what God said he was looking for. There is no one suitable who can do this, who can be an, a, an opposed savior, if I can say it that way. And God has called the wives to face their husbands and to be opposed to them in some ways. Now, some of you wives right now are like, I've been dreaming about a message like this my whole life. I was born for that. I didn't even know it. I've been nagging him from the time we met. And now I find out I'm called to do it. This is the greatest day of my life, right? It's not what I'm talking about. Remember, um, the opposition brings help. So one of the things that's frustrating to me about politics in the world we live in today is that you have these two opposite sides and then you have extremes to both sides. And these opposite sides should make each other better because you have conservatives and by nature, conservatives want to conserve. They want to preserve what they are doing. They don't like a lot of change wholesale across the board, typically. And then you've got progressives and progressive love change. They wanna change everything, even if it doesn't necessarily need to be changed. They wanna change it, they are progressive. Now. Each of those sides left to their own devices can cause problems because this is the thing. There are some things in our world that need to change and progressives need to be able to talk to conservatives and say, hey, we need to change this and conservatives need to understand, yep, there are some things that probably need to change. But there are some things that should not change and conservatives need to be able to speak to progressives and go, no, 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 you want to change that and it is bad if we change that, so we're not gonna do it. But the problem is we can't have that conversation. See, the, the opposition actually brings health and benefit to the whole, but we've been robbed of those conversations in our culture because now we just scream at each other and we hate each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it seems like it is. But think about this in terms of our marriage. In our marriage, we are opposed to each other, but it's beneficial opposition. 
The opposition actually brings health. So when my wife, my, I'm grateful, my wife is no sycophant. She is no yes man. She will speak to me and challenge me at times and, and say, I don't know about that. Or, hey, you stepped over the line. Or this is a common one. Do you have any idea what you sounded like when you said that? No, I do not. And she will help me. She is opposed to me in that way, but she's not battling me. She's helping me get better. And this is what God was looking for, for us, for men. He wanted someone who could help us get better through that opposition, through that pressure, changing us and developing us and helping us grow. And it's not just in our spouse, but God wants that in our friendships as well. So let me move on, verse 21. He said, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. This is not a deeply theological statement, but I just need to share this. I want you to know something. Ribs are awesome. I love smoked ribs. There is nothing better. And ladies, I want you to hear this. God did not slap together some baloney and say, I'm gonna make woman from this. It was no in-case processed meat. He said, I'm gonna take the rib because ribs are awesome. And he made you from that. I'm not gonna develop deep theology from this. I'm just saying, ribs are awesome. Women are awesome. God is awesome. 23, <laughs> verse 23. Listen, okay. He creates woman from Adam's rib. And remember, he created the animals from the dirt. Remember, that's what we said. But he said, no, 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 for woman, I'm gonna take her from man's side, from his rib. And then he creates her, he presents her to Adam. And listen to Adam's response. I love this. He said, at last, the man exclaimed, this is an exclamation. That's the, the grammar. That is the punctuation we see. He doesn't go, oh, okay. Well, at last. I've been waiting on you and you, you made it at last. No. He says, at last. He's excited. He's energetic. He, he, he's pumped. He says, at last. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, God, you presented me with all these animals, all these creatures, and I named them, but none of them were suitable as a, as a helper, as a opposed savior. None of them could fill that role, but, but here you've created someone, and although they are different, they are like me. I found some place to, to belong. I found a person to whom I can belong. And there's this deep longing in Adam. And he said, I didn't belong. I couldn't belong to these animals, these creation. As much as you love your animals, they're not people. That was really unpopular. You'd rather me talk about politics than that. And he said, I, I don't belong to the, but this is my people. She was taken from, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. At last. And what Adam expresses here is this deep longing that we all have in, in all of us. Each of us have this, where we say, I want to belong. I want to feel accepted. I want to feel loved. I want to find my people. And Adam found it in Eve and he said, at last. Oh, at last. I've had this longing, this, this desire. I didn't even know I had, but now... 
It's filled. And each of us have that. Each of us have a longing and a desire to belong. Each of us want to find our people. And it's not just about our spouse. It is about finding our family. Then it goes on to say in verse 24, Moses is writing this story. And Moses says this. He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And notice it says a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. Um, it's easy to simplify this down to simply talk about physical intimacy in the context of covenant marriage. But that's not all it is. There is an element of that, but that's not all there is. There is this, this oneness that we have with our spouse in the context of our covenant that is much deeper than physical intimacy, that is much deeper than just sexual intimacy. There's this point where we are united, where we come together, where you are joined together. In fact, the word join here, it's a Hebrew word dabak, and it means to cling, to stick close to, to stay close, to cleave. Um, it's us saying, I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to let this go. I recognize what I have and I am never going to let it go. I recognize how wonderful and how beautiful and how perfectly made for me my wife is and I will never let her go. Remember, there's a difference between being committed and totally committed. And totally committed people hang on tight to what they have, to the friends they have, to the, the, the family they have. They're totally committed to relationships. See, we can be committed in a marriage, but not totally committed. In fact, I don't do very many weddings, and the reason I don't do very many weddings is because I realize that most people are lying in their wedding vows. They are. Let me, let me share some, this is my take on honest marriage vows in the world we live in today. I was gonna ask if it's okay, but I don't really care if you think it's okay. I'm still gonna do it. <laughs> I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold when I feel like it. From this day until our relational usefulness ends, for better, for richer, and in health. <laughs> he noticed I left some of it out. <laughs> to love and to cherish, unless you stop maintaining your looks. And from this day forward, I pledge my faithfulness to you unless someone better comes along. Now, some of you are laughing, but you feel a little guilty. Because let's be honest, these are the marriage vows most people make in our world today. Because what we're saying is, I'm committed to you, but I'm not totally committing. I'm gonna hedge my bets because something better might come along. I, I don't wanna be totally committed here and then I miss out on something better, which I get why you might feel that way. But that is not a biblical view. That is not a godly view. In fact, some of us are committed, but we're not totally committed. We're in a marriage uh, and we think I'm totally committed. I've never gotten divorced. If I was, if I was not totally committed, I would have gotten a divorce. No, no, no. You can be married and not totally committed. You can be great roommates 
You're not totally committed to the marriage. You're not totally committed to your spouse. You're just totally committed to being comfortable, to the status quo, to not messing things up till the kids get out of the house. I don't know what it is, but believe me, I've seen lots of marriages that were not totally committed just because they weren't divorced. Does not mean anything. And faithful is not just not cheating. Well, I'm faithful. I've never cheated on my wife. Well, I, I understand you've never cheated, but faithful, um, the bar for faithfulness is not just not cheating. By the way, we shouldn't just celebrate when people don't cheat on their spouse. That should be understood that you don't cheat on your spouse, right? Like if, if one of my employees came to my office and they're like, no, I did my job today. I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, good for you. You did your job. It's like, no, I hired you to do your job. When you do more than your job, then we'll celebrate, right? We want celebration because it's like, well, I've never cheated on my wife. That's what you're supposed to do, my man. Just don't cheat on your wife. That's not faithful. Faithful is, is actually being totally committed. Um, total commitment means you put the needs of your spouse above your own needs. You love sacrificially. This is what Jesus called us to. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, but yet we do a terrible job of this, not just in our marriage, in our friendships. We've got lots of friendships we're committed to. I'm committed to them. Oh, these are my friends. But you're not totally committed because you don't love them sacrificially. You're not putting their need above your own. Have any of you ever been unfriended before? Like maybe on social media, you get on social media, you look up somebody's profile on Facebook and you're like, oh, wait a second. It says ad friend. And you're like, wait a second. We were friends. I've been unfriended. And you're like, I'm offended. I'm hurt. How can this person unfriend me? And you're like, you had them in third grade class. You haven't seen them in 27 years. <laughs> you weren't really friends, right? You just were friends on social media, but you get unfriended. It kind of hurts a little bit on social media. You don't know what you did. Why did they unfriend me? Am I not good enough? But unfriending happens in real life too. Did you know that? Decoupling, disconnecting. It happens in real life. Now there are times you should defriend people. There are people in your life that suck the life out of you that you need to defriend. There are people in your life that are toxic. You need to defriend. Some of you are single. You're dating people that are toxic. You need to defriend them. You need to decouple from them. But, but healthy people in relationship with healthy people shouldn't be unfriending. See, we unfriend when we focus on ourselves many times. Well, I'm not getting this and I'm not getting it. I need and I deserve. So I wanna to talk to you just for a couple minutes about, about being in healthy relationships. And, and the reality is there are some obstacles to us being in healthy relationships and they have to do with what we fix our eyes on and what we focus on. So let me start with this. We cannot be totally committed to healthy relationships when we are focused on, number one, our pleasure. When I'm focused on myself, when I'm focused on what I need and what I have and what I get and what I benefit, I become a toxic person to be in relationship with. In James chapter five, James talking to the church and he is calling out rich people. And rich people aren't a problem. Um, it's when they abuse people that are not rich. When they think that their possessions give them special place. And so James is calling them out. He's calling out selfish people. 
And he gets to verse five and he says this. He says, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. (laughs) He says, you've lived your life focused on yourself and what you can have and what makes you happy and comfortable and pleases you. And you've lived a selfish, self-centered, self-focused life. And because of that, this path is leading you to destruction. In the same way that you would fatten a hog and get it ready for slaughter, he says, your your self-focus is fattening fattening you for slaughter. And this is what happens when we live selfish, self-focused, self-centered lives, it leads to destruction. Paul says this in Philippians chapter two, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul says it perfectly, be humble, think of others as better than yourselves. Here's the thing, it's hard for me to look out for the needs of people around me if I'm so focused on my own needs. If I think I'm better than other people, it makes it real tough for me to serve them. In my marriage, if I think I'm better than Kim, I'm smarter than Kim, um, I'm the king of my house, she's here to serve me, I'm never gonna serve her because she doesn't deserve it, I deserve it because I'm the boss, I'm I'm the king of my household. But if I humble myself, it makes it real easy to serve my wife. It makes it real easy to humble myself before her and go, hey, I see your needs. This isn't just about me. My marriage is gonna get better and healthier when I do that, by the way. My friendships get better when I see the needs of my friends around me, when I see that and go, hey, how can I serve that? How can I take care of them? How can I look out for them? It's so important, but we can't do that if we think we're better than them. It only happens when we humble ourselves. And then it says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I'm grateful for the guy that dated Kim before me. I'm grateful for that guy. (laughs) He was was not the nicest guy in the world. He was kind of self-centered. And so when he met her dad, um, Ronnie was not a big fan. Ronnie wasn't a sports fan and my predecessor was. And all he talked about was himself and his sports and his accomplishments and his achievements. And Ronnie was not impressed. He didn't ask Ronnie a great deal about his business, about his interests. And when I showed up on the scene, when Mel Massingale arrived on the picture, (laughs) I'm not the smartest guy around and I don't love all of the stuff that Ronnie loved, but you know what I did love? I loved Kim Franklin. And I knew if I wanted to love Kim Franklin better, I better learn how to love Ronnie Franklin better. And if I wanna know how to love Ronnie Franklin better, I better love what Ronnie loves. And you know what Ronnie loved? He loved computers and he loved technology. And we would talk about this stuff and I would ask him questions. And I would say, tell me about, oh, when did you start your business? Oh my gosh. And you were building computers in your garage in the seventies? That's crazy. And we would talk and I would ask questions. And what happened is we developed a relationship because I loved what he loved and it helped him love me. And if you wanna build relationships with people, love what they love. Show an interest in the things they are interested in. If you wanna be a black hole, just let them ask you questions. Have you ever talked to somebody and you met somebody and you asked them some questions and then the normal human response is for them to reciprocate, but they don't? You're like, oh, so tell me about yourself. And they tell you for five minutes about their whole life and then they just stop. 
okay, great. And you're waiting for them to go, well, tell me, but where are you from? But they never do. It's hard to build a relationship with those people because they have this, this subtle idea that it's about them. Well, now you've got to ask me some more questions. I'm very interesting. You should find out more about me. And you can't build relationships with those people because they have no self-awareness. That They lack the ability to ask you about your life because they don't love what you love. They love themselves. See, taking care of others is where healthy relationships are conceived. It's not what the benefit is. See, a baby is conceived and then when the baby is born, there is a gestation period between these two times when the baby's developing and growing and... and I've talked to people We're like, Mel, I tried it. I did dishes for my wife last night. Nothing changed. Like, really? That one whole night you did dishes? Wow. I can't believe. That chick's crazy. <laughs> can't believe. Right? It's like, no, you keep doing dishes, my man. You keep doing your part. You keep serving your wife. See what happens over time. Because there's a gestation period. When you take care of others, it's where healthy relationships are conceived. Now, a lot of our college students are gone. I won't take a lot of time here, but man, it's good to see some of our college students, IEP students. The baseball team made the playoffs, so they're gonna stick around a little bit longer, which I'm happy about. But uh, yeah. I don't know, have, have any of you ever heard a word situationship before? It's okay, you don't need to. There, this is a word you hear in younger circles, and I know you probably wouldn't get it, but I do, because I'm cool like that. I'm hip. Um, so a situationship is uh, a relationship that is a lot of times physical in nature, but is left undefined. So they don't talk about what their commitment level is. There's a level of commitment, but it can be a physical relationship without, without commitment. And it's great for some people because then they can have physical relationships with as many people as they want and they can get off by going, well, I didn't know. And we weren't in a, we weren't committed to each other. And what happens is I know a lot of college students and, and I've talked to students who deal with so much regret and shame because they have looked for the moment where Adam says, at last, They've looked for that in physical intimacy over and over and over and over and over again, and they have not found that. And they are left hurting and broken and depressed because now they've got a high body count. They've got all these partners and they're still left unfulfilled. And it's because ultimately they're trying to fill their life with their pleasure. And it's impossible. That's not a healthy relationship. See, what should happen is we go, hey, um, I'm gonna look out for the needs of others. And even if it's a consenting relationship, the best thing for the other person might be to go, you know what, uh, this is not healthy for you. And this might be what I want, but we're not gonna do this. We're gonna abstain from this. We're gonna, we're gonna move forward. But we don't do that because we're looking out for our own needs, our own pleasure. And we cannot be totally committed to healthy relationships when we are focused on our pleasure. The second thing is this, our lack. We can't be totally committed to healthy relationships when we focus on our lack. And the truth is we lack a lot of things and that's why we look for relationships. And we go, man, I need intimacy. I need protection. I need safety. I need, I need 
encouragement in my life. And I need these people to give me what I lack. Somebody give me encouragement, I need encouragement. Somebody give me peace, I need peace. Somebody give me safety, somebody give me acceptance, somebody give me, and what we do is we focus on our lack. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. See, we're so busy looking at what we lack. We're saying somebody needs to take care of this that we fail to see that it's not their responsibility. There's a passage in Galatians chapter six, and it says this in the New Living Translation, you will always harvest what you plant. Another way we say it in our, uh, in our language is, you reap what you sow. See, if you have a lack in your life, do you know what I would say? And this is gonna sound harsh. I'll say this as lovingly as possible. If you lack peace in your life, do you know what I would start doing? Start trying to plant peace in other people's lives. If you lack encouragement in your life, you, you want a harvest of encouragement, do you know what you need to do? You need to start planting some encouragement. If you feel discouraged, the most important thing for you to do is start encouraging some other people. Because there are people that need encouraged. But what we do is we go, well, I need encouragement. Nobody's gonna encourage me. And we can't be in healthy relationships because we're focused on our own lack. And what we need to see is there are people all around us who need what we have to offer. And if you lack a, a harvest in your life, one of the most important things you can do is begin planting seeds in the lives of other people. Third thing is this. We cannot be totally committed to healthy relationships when we're focused on our pain. Did you know people hurt us? Did you know that? Has nobody been hurt by people except me? Am I the only one? Because I think you're all lying. How many of us have been hurt by people before? Yes? Thank you. There's still some of you are lying. I'm not gonna ask again though. That's okay. People hurt us. People we love hurt us. People in our family hurt us. So what happens many times is we get hurt and we get into a situation and we go, well, I'm never doing that again. I'm never gonna let somebody hurt me that way again. Maybe you've been through a divorce and you go, I'm never going to let somebody do that. To me. I'm never gonna let a man treat me that way again. I'm never gonna let a woman do that to me. I'm never going to. I'm never gonna let my friend betray me again. And what happens is we start building defenses at the point of our hurt. And what it does is it keeps people from getting close to us. So the good news is we don't get hurt like that again. The bad news is we forfeit the ability to ever have intimacy and relationship ever again. So we'll never be hurt that way, but now we're drying up at the root because we lack intimacy and relationship. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there are friends, in quotes, friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Did you know you can find friends in this world that will stick closer than a brother? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way because we've been hurt and we've been burned by our friends. But I want you to know, friends will hurt you. They will betray you at times. They will be thoughtless at times. They will say things that hurt you at times. It is going to happen, but it's still possible for you to have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Galatians 3 says this, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So let me just start with this. Paul tells the Colossian church, he says, hey, God loves you and, and he, is, he is for you, you are holy people. So with that in mind, 
clothe yourself in this way. Now I'm grateful. I can't see our folks in Blairsville, but I'm assuming they're all wearing clothes. I look at you today and you're wearing clothes. And for that, I wanna say thank you very much for wearing clothes to church today. You have clothed yourself, right? You put on a shirt, you put on some pants, uh, you put on some shoes. You wouldn't have left the house without a shirt today, you, but you put on a shirt. You, thank you, I appreciate that. You were conscientious about the way you clothed yourself. And what we see here is Paul's telling the Colossians, you need to be conscientious as holy people who God loves. You need to be conscientious about the way you're clothing yourself. You don't leave the house without a shirt and you don't leave the house without tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he concludes by saying, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And what he says is, you have to clothe yourself with this every single day. Don't leave the house without these things on. Because it's impossible for me to love people the way God wants me to love them in myself. I have to clothe myself in love. And I can't do that. I have to go, God, help me today. God, I need to, I wanna love my wife the way you want me to love her. So God, clothe me in love today. God, I wanna love our staff the way you want me to love them. So clothe me in love today. God, I wanna love our church. God, I wanna love, let's be honest, you gotta pray this because some of you are going to Walmart later. You gotta pray. God, clothe me in love because I'm going to Walmart. God, I'm going to the Ben Franklin pickup line to pick up my kids from school tomorrow. God, clothe me in love, right? Because we need it. We need it. We gotta prepare ourselves well. And he says this, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. What he's saying is, uh, you think your friends are gonna be perfect. You think your spouse is gonna be perfect. You need to lower your expectations because they will not be perfect. One of the things you'll hear in Growth Track when you go through Growth Track is I will say, hey, I'm so glad you've been coming to Summit, um, but let me just help you, you're gonna be disappointed. Because if you stick around long enough, you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna disagree with something we do or say. Do you know how I know that? Because I'm a human being and our board is a bunch of human beings and our staff is human beings and our dream team is human beings. So at some point, there's a human being that's gonna, dis they're gonna disappoint you. But if we understand that they're human and we make allowance for their faults, it makes it easier for us to stay in relationship. We don't just go, well, I'm done with this marriage if you're gonna keep leaving your socks on the living room floor. I'm, gonna, I'm done with this marriage if you keep squeezing the toothpaste tube from the middle like some sort of maniac psycho person. And those are both hypothetical. I don't leave my socks on the floor and Kim doesn't squeeze the middle of the tube. She does squeeze this middle of the tube. <laughs> and we have two tubes of toothpaste. She's got hers that's crazy and out of control and you got mine that's do it on the edge of the table. I'm not gonna divorce my wife over something stupid like that. Do you know why? Because we make allowances for each other's faults. I don't expect her to be perfect. She does not expect me to be perfect. It allows us to love each other well. And then he finishes his thought, thought by saying, and forgive anyone who offends you. And when you do get offended, by the way, they don't offend you, you pick up offense. When I'm offended, it's because I have allowed offense in my life. So when somebody offends you, you forgive quickly. That's what people in healthy relationships do. But we can't do that when we're focused on our pain. See, we can't control what others do, but we can control our response. You're gonna get hurt, it's gonna happen. 
But don't focus on the pain. Don't focus on that loss. Respond to it. Get better. Learn, grow. See, we focus on our pain. It's hard for us to have healthy relationships because the truth is life hurts us too. People hurt us, but life hurts us. Circumstances, situations, things happen. Life changes. People all throughout our church deal with loss. Um, When I lost my dad in December, 2019, um, it was hard. It was rough. And you people were awesome. You loved me well. Um, and it's still painful today. There's still times I think about him today. But about 17 months after my dad passed away, 15, 16, something like that, I turned a corner where it was like, oh, okay, I feel different now. I, I don't feel as gripped by that pain as I once did. And I moved on. I didn't forget about my dad. I didn't leave that pain behind. It's still there, but I'm not focused on it. Psalm chapter 30, verse four and five, it says this, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones, praise his holy name for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Listen to this, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. See, the psalmist acknowledged Weeping is part of our life. Grief and loss is part of our life, but he also assigns a timeline to it. Weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I wish weeping only lasted for a night, but here's the thing. What God doesn't want for us is to get frozen and locked into a moment where we can never escape our pain. Now, is it wrong to grieve someone or something that we have lost? No, it's good to do that. We should do that. We see in scripture, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. So we grieve, but this is what we have to understand. It's gotta be for a season. There's a man in the scripture named Terah. He was the father of Abraham. Terah was called by God to go to the promised land, to Canaan. Terah stopped in Ur of the Chaldeans. Later in his life, God called Abraham, his son, to go to Canaan, and he did. He followed God's word. The terror was supposed to go, and he didn't. See, he stopped on the way. He settled in Ur the Chaldeans, and he stayed there. And what happens for many of us, God has called us. He's got a destination for us. But what happens is we get locked into our pain, into our hurt, and we focus on it, and that's all we see, and it's all we feel, and, and we are locked into that moment, and it becomes someplace we settle. See, it's supposed to be a destination we pass through on the way to our real destination, but what it becomes for many of us is it becomes a place we just stop. That's all we focus on. That's all we see. And when we live that way, we cannot have the depth in relationships that God wants us to have. We cannot be totally committed to healthy relationships around us when all we're focused on is our pain, our loss, our hurt, our disappointment. We can't have healthy relationships when all we focus on is our lack or on our pleasure. At the end of the day, we have to see the needs of others and we have to invest in the needs of others and we have to bless others because that's where true joy is. So my question today is, will you totally commit to healthy marriage? Even if you're not married yet, will you commit to practices that will put you in a place for healthy marriage someday? Will you commit totally to healthy friendships? And you can't 
be 100% committed to every friend in your life? It's impossible. It's mathematically impossible. But will you find the people who speak into you, that you can speak into, that you can walk together, that you can say, at last, my people. Will you totally commit to them? For those of you that are single, will you totally commit to, to healthy dating lives? That you're gonna put the needs of the others above your own need and your own desires? See, all this begins with a healthy relationship with Jesus by saying, Jesus, I want you first and foremost. I'm totally committing to you because when we do that, then every relationship in our life gets better. Right now, I'm turning over to Pastor Colin. He's gonna close you out. He's gonna give you an opportunity to respond there in Blairsville. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So we covered a lot of ground today. And my desire is just the Holy Spirit would do what he wants to do in you. I don't have to point things out. I don't have to give you a list of things. The Holy Spirit's probably dealt with your heart about something. And I just wanna give him a chance to work. So if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you're here today, but you say, Mel, I prayed a prayer one time, but the truth is I never totally committed. I was never all in. I never crossed the Rubicon with Christ. Today's your day. Maybe you recognize I need a different kind of relationship with my spouse than I have. Some things need to change. It's awesome. It can change. We totally commit to that. It begins with your relationship with Jesus nonetheless. Maybe you found yourself in a place where you were locked into hurt, locked into focusing on your lack, locked into focusing on your own pleasure, your own selfishness. God wants to help you today. So if you would, bow your head, close your eyes, all of this place. God, have your way with us over these next few moments. God, I pray that there would be no condemnation in this place. God, for those that maybe have been through difficult relationships and divorces, God, I pray that you would help them see that in Christ there is no condemnation. Lord, I pray for those that are stuck God, I pray healing in their hearts. In the midst of loss and pain, God, help us to see the needs of others and, and bless others. In the midst of our lack, God, I pray that we would see the opportunity we have to plant seeds of encouragement and blessing in others. God, for those of us that are living selfish lives focused on our own pleasure, I pray that we would repent of that today. Have your way with us, God. Help us to be people who are totally committed to you. So Lord, minister in us in these next few moments. Now with your head bowed, your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you'd say to me, Mel, today I know I'm not really serving God, but I wanna be, I wanna surrender my life to him. I wanna pray for you. If you wanna be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it all over the room? You'd say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Thank you, sir, on my left, I see you. Yep, I see you up in the balcony, sir. Thank you. Who else would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me. I want to totally surrender my life. I want to totally commit to Christ today. Yep, thank you. I see you in the center section. Awesome. Just a couple more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Yeah, thank you. Yep, thank you on my left. A couple more hands. I see you, ladies. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. I'm gonna give you the words to say. 
This is your prayer though. So I want you to pray this from your heart to God. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Help me to please you first and foremost for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And here's the thing. Some of you were introduced to Jesus today. We want to help you get to know him better. And so if you would, take one minute and fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. And uh, when you're done with that, you can take it to, taking it to the info center or do they take it to next steps? Take it to the next steps. We got a next steps next steps table in the lobby. And if you fill out that card, take it to the next step table. One of our team is gonna be there to connect with you and help you figure out what's next for you. So please take advantage of that. If you'd prefer, if you're watching online, just text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision via your mobile device. We'd love to help you take the next step in your journey as well. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Colin, Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us. That'd be different, right? Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. While we're singing this last song, some of our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be available to pray with you. And I would love for you to take a minute during this final song and just examine your heart, let God speak to you. And just ask yourself, God, what needs to change in me in order to be totally committed to healthy relationships in my life? And he'll show you. Uh, but our team would love to pray for you no matter what your need is. And this is the last weekend we're doing this, but we do still have these out in the lobby by the map that just says, I'm totally committing to, and you can put whatever it is down and just put your pin on the map symbolically to say, that's me. And then we also have both in Indiana and Blairsville, we've got these um, rubber bracelets that you can take one with you. It just says Rubicon on it. And if you've made a decision to be totally committed to something in your life, I would encourage you to grab one of those and, um, and just as a reminder to say, hey, I'm totally committing to whatever it might be in your life that I'm crossing the Rubicon, I'm never going back. So stay on your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go. Oh, and I mean this sincerely, guys. When I'm gone, I miss you. And, um, and I'm reminded how much I do love you guys. And I'm reminded how good it is to be your pastor. I love you guys more than you know. I'm honored to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next weekend. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.